talking about. The Lord will empty the earth. He'll make it desolate. He'll twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. So you have a, a, a thing taking place. The first thing that we can't see in English on the text is the urgency of the text. The urgency of the text is like, guys, this day's coming. The point of this day coming, not to freak everybody out and make everyone afraid, the point of this day coming is to say, be ready. Well, how is it that I'm ready? You make a choice about, are you going to bow the knee to the Lord? Is he yours or not? That's all. Do I make that decision? Do I, do I, do I set that where I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is where I'm going to, this is where I'm bowing the knee. The Bible said, we even sang the song. Uh, earlier today, but the Bible says there's a day when how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? So the point of that is either he's going to make you or you get to choose, right? But there comes a point where if you don't choose right, someone's going to make you do right. Is that how it is in the world today? Well, for sure. If, if you don't think you need to go the speed limit, will someone make you? Trust me, you write enough checks to the courthouse, you you will get made. I came here from California with a lead foot, well, a lead wrist. I had a motorcycle. And I, I got pulled over like, I don't know, I got pulled over one time twice in five minutes. One guy just let me go, and another guy at the other end of town pulled me over. Twice. Happened once in Filer and once in Shoshone. So, yeah, they cured me. Idaho cured me. I was like, dude, I can't be doing this. Okay, you win. I'll stop. So even if you think I am a maniac now, I'm way better than I was when I got here. So the reality is either we will follow the rule, and the rule of the universe is to follow the Lord, or the Lord will make us. Yeah? But one puts us in the camp of the rebellious, and the rebellious don't get in. The rebellious get made to bow, and then punishment. The redeemed bow, and they get in. They, they get to enter into the one thing mankind's been looking for ever since man has existed on the earth, and that is utopia. Not dystopia, not a false dream of being able to do it, but the real deal. The, the way the kingdom is described, God's kingdom, perfect rule, perfect justice, perfect righteousness, that's a place, man. And everybody has that desire. Everybody wants to see justice all the way, right? Everybody wants to see compassion and truth and all those things have their rightful place. And they will when Jesus rules and reigns. So he says, look, this is going to happen. We need to be ready. The earth will be made empty. It will be made desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter the inhabitants. Then he talks about the status of the people. The people are, people are always been divided by social status, right? So he says in verse 2, it doesn't matter what social status you're in. He says, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with the master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the, cre- the creditor, so with the debtor. What's he saying? It's the same for everybody. God's no respecter of persons. Right? There, if Jesus said there's one way, does it mean there's two ways for somebody else? 
Now, in our world today, is there only one way? No, we understand there's a different social class that works, yeah? If you're poor and you get falsely accused, what's the chances of you going to jail anyway? Pretty good, right? If you're rich and you get falsely accused, what's the chance? Is it better? You got better chances because you, you can afford a lawyer, right? You can afford somebody who might be able to defend you, not somebody who's got 10,000 cases uh, of overload trying to defend you. But the point is, in the, in the kingdom of God, it's straight across. There's, God's no respecter of person. The person who thinks he's righteous, the person who thinks he's not. You both, God sees you both the same way, right? There's not a different category. There's not a different place. Religious differences will disappear. Authority struggles will all be gone. Economic distinctions are over, right? And the earth is being judged. Every kingdom, every country, every place. In verse 3, you see the spoiling of the land. It says, And the earth will be utterly empty, utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken, or the Lord has decreed. There are certain things in history that are fixed, absolutely fixed. They are going to happen. Final judgment is going to happen. Jesus' death on the cross was going to happen. The Bible says, before the foundation of the world. That was set, right? There was not a chance when he came that it wasn't going to happen. He was going to die on the cross. Man, God has decreed there is a judgment day. The earth will face <coughs> that judgment. And so for, the, for Isaiah, for you and I, there's one reason that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's true, because it's decreed. God said it. If God said it, it can't not happen. It's going to come. There will be that day. The earth will be utterly empty, utterly plundered. It's It's over. Peter describes it like this, like, like just a fiery ball. It says, the earth will melt with fervent heat. Now, once upon a time, if we were back in, uh, you know, 30 AD, we would say, how in the world could something like that happen? Right? How do you catch the whole world on fire? Do we struggle with that idea now? Do we struggle with the idea of how in the world could something like that happen? <laughs> There was a period of time, right, in the, in the what, late 70s, 80s, people were building bomb shelters and pretty sure that the whole world was going to end any moment. So that's the idea. The idea is, man, this is, this is something that can take place. We know it can happen. And the Bible teaches it as something, the urgency of it is teaching it in such a way that it can happen any time. So be ready. The urgency is, the Bible teaches always, now is the time for salvation. Today is the day, not tomorrow, don't wait. Everybody, well not everybody, oftentimes people say, well, I, you know, I just want to live my life now. But later on, you know, when I'm old and ready to die, then I'll give my, I'll give my life to Christ. Well, unfortunately, you may not get that chance. Right? The Bible says now, be ready now. Be, make a decision now. Make a decision about, about your future at this time. Now, the scripture goes on to talk about the idea of the sorrow that is going to come. The earth will mourn and wither. The, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. So everybody, 
it's, it's not a, there's a glorious day coming. I always like the idea of the crucifixion, right? Think about the day of the Lord in the same way. The day of the crucifixion, when Christ is taken from the cross, that's a day of mourning, right? And people are crying, but they're not crying for long, right? Because the Bible says, sorrow comes in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. So the idea is that there is a judgment, and it's a vast, and you know the Bible uses a lot of different language to talk about blood flowing to the horse's bridle. You guys have heard that? In the valley of Armageddon, 185 miles long, that's just a lot of blood. Which is, I don't don't necessarily have to say that that is literal. I just know that that means a lot of people are dying. A lot of death, a lot of destruction, a lot of rebellion, a lot of fighting that doesn't have to happen. Right? It doesn't have to happen. Nobody has to die. You can choose it. But you don't have to have it. The Lord stood before his people and he said, look, if you do this, there's cursing. If you do this, blessing. I've set before you today life and death. Then what he asked the people to do? Choose life. You don't have to die. Nobody has to die. If you, if you want to die, you can. If you want to be judged in that way, you can. But you can also choose life. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, doesn't make any difference. You can choose life. You can bow the knee. You can uh, receive the gospel, accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and find redemption. Not less guilt. We're all still guilty, right? Not less guilt. You just find forgiveness. You just find redemption. You just find God's willingness to cover you. God's willingness to bring that forgiveness so we have the sorrow that's caused now then we see the the defilement of the people look at verse five the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants i want you to understand what that means earth lies defiled the bible teaches multiple things that bring a nation uh or a people into judgment shedding of innocent blood is usually one of the first ones the shedding of innocent blood makes you... That's like in Genesis chapter 4. What did, it, what did God say to Cain? Where's your brother? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? God said, well, I don't know if you're a brother's keeper, but his blood cries out to me from the ground. The blood of your brother that you shed has defiled the ground. It cries out. What's it cry out for? Justice. Right now, that was one life. <laughs> How many innocent lives are, are lost around the world? See, what he's saying is, listen, the earth is defiled. The shedding of innocent blood, stealing from the poor, uh, not caring about the hungry, not taking care of people who are in prison, not doing all those things that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 25 and in uh, Isaiah that we'll see later on in 58. All those things, what do they do? They defile the land. That's why God brings judgment. The Lord says to, to when he's bringing judgment to Judah, he says to Judah, you're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. You're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, they... 
they had a lot of problems. They had fullness of food, too much time on their hands, and they didn't care about the poor. That's what God says was the impetus for judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Because living lives that way defiles the land. So in the United States, are we defiling our land? What about the rest of the world? Are we the only ones? No. So when the Bible says the inhabitants of the earth have defiled it, the Bible is saying you, you, there's so much, there, there will re- the defilement on the earth will reach a point where God says that's as far and no further. And then he's going to stop it. And on that day, that day, it will be too late to go, oh, that was all real. That's what God says. You believe me now. You don't get to believe me later. This is, he's telling us ahead of time, before it happens, so that we can be prepared. So he lays it out. The earth lies defiled. Why? They have transgressed the law, violated the statutes, broken the covenant. Does, I don't even know the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Romans says you won't be judged by the Ten Commandments. What will you be judged by? Your conscience. You ever violated it? You ever done something that you were pretty sure was wrong? Nobody had to tell you. You just said, oh, I shouldn't do this, but you did it anyway. God says he's going to judge you by your conscience. And he's going to ask you this question. If your conscience told you it was wrong and you did it anyway, why? You knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. Why? And we're going to, the Bible literally tells us, we will be silent. We won't have an answer. We'll go, uh. And he'll say, you're guilty. And every man, and when every man leaves the judgment of God, every, every unbeliever who stands in that place, the last thing they will say is, righteous and true are your judgments, God. They'll say, you're right. So, I don't want anybody to have to be in that line. You don't have to be there. How am I not there? I confess that that's how I am. I am that guy. I am a sinner, a liar, a thief. I'm broken, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. Lord, save me. And God says, I'll forgive you. Or I can walk in my pride and say, nope, I'm good. The Lord says he will bring the proud down, right? But he will exalt the humble. We want to come to the Lord in humility. Verse 6, we see the devouring of the earth. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. Isn't that happening now? Romans chapter 8 says that all of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. That the earth, the trees, the rocks, the animals... All of them are groaning for the day when Jesus will come and lift the curse. But before the curse gets lifted, it all gets burnt down. Right? It all comes down before it all gets built back. If you had a house and the foundation is just shot, are you going to build a second story on it? No, what are you going to do? Tear it down and build it right. Fix it, right? All gets torn down before it comes up. The curse devours the earth. Its inhabitants are suffering. Why? Why is our world like it is? 
He tells us right here, its inhabitants suffer for what? Their guilt. Their guilt. Why is the world like it is? Why is it sideways? Why is why do these horrible things rise up in nature? And why does all this happen? Sin. When God created the world, he created the world wild, but he created the world to be tamed. And he told Adam, go and subdue. Why would you say that about paradise? What, what, what do you need to subdue? Uh, I, I, I need to put my hammock up in the tree? That's what I got to subdue? No, God made the world wild and he gave man a job to go out and subdue. But then man fell, man was corrupted, man rebelled against God. And the result is creation was never subdued. So the world is wild still. If you come across a bear in the wild, what do you think? Man, 50-50. Depending on what kind of bear... Most of the time, might be, maybe it's 60-40, he's going to go away. Unless he's got a big hump between his shoulders. In which case, I think it's probably 70-30 the other way. Yeah, because he's what? Is he bad? Is he evil? Or is he just wild? Is wild bad? Is wild an evil thing? Go and subdue. Oh, but sub- subduing can't happen because of the fall, the corruption, the rebellion, the disinheritance of man, and we live in a wild world. And when Jesus came, did he show he could tame the world? Well, one of the pictures of wildness in the world is the ocean, right? The sea, the storms that come up, because nobody can really stop that, can they? But what did Jesus do? He showed them all. He said, yeah, this can be subdued. Watch. Peace be still. When God commanded Adam to do it, could Adam have done it? How many times has God commanded somebody to do something that they're not able to do? Usually if he commands, he enables, doesn't he? When... There's a new heaven and a new earth and perfect peace. Maybe that's a part of that process, right? That mankind will finally subdue the world that God made for him. Because I know it's in us, isn't it? Don't we want to do that? Don't we, don't we want to overcome? A, when a man sees a mountain, what's he want to do? Climb it, right? He sees a perfectly good bridge over the river, what's he want to do? Jump off it and live. Yeah? So that there's all these things we want to do because what? That's I think that's the image of God in us saying this is this is what we were made for. But instead, sin has disrupted all of that. And so the world stays wild, we have problems, we have suffering. Why? Because man's not empowered now. Why is man not empowered? Because he's fallen, he's corrupted, he's rebellious. What happens when a person brings that back into line? When a person bows the knee to Jesus Christ, what does he promise a a person? He promises to give them power, doesn't he? Doesn't he promise to, to give us the Holy Spirit that will give us the strength we need to overcome things in our life, challenges in our life, struggles in our life? 
And then he calls it this. He says, that is a little down payment to the reality of what it's like when he comes back. That's just a little taste. The Bible says that now we see through a a glass darkly, dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we will know as we are known. Yeah, there's, there's something bigger. What was the original intention of Eden is accomplished when Jesus Christ sits on the throne. You guys tracking with me? When you have a new heaven and a new earth and all those things that God's word calls us to. So we have the ability, but now the earth is under the curse. Now the inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are, are scorched and few men are left. Little by little they go. Well, how, how is it that we miss that? How do we, how do we miss that day of the fiery judgment of God? Psalm 34, 22 says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. How do you get redeemed? Come one of God's servants. How do I become one of God's servants? Just ask. It isn't complicated. Lord, redeem me. Forgive me. Save me. God says, cool, we can, we can start right there. Right? And our life with the Lord begins. In Isaiah chapter 4, we talked about this. It says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be pride the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. He who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord will have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, he cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. So God's going to, he's going to cleanse it. Or we can it's just that whole deal that, that Jesus talked about with the Pharisees we talked a couple weeks ago. You either fall on the rock and you're broken and then God makes you whole or the rock falls on you and you get turned into dust. Two paths. Life, death, blessing, curse. Choose what? Choose life. Nobody's got to choose death. We can choose life. Then we see the darkening of their joy, the darkening, the, the, the cutting off of luxury. It says the wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sides. Like, oh, we've been trying to party our way through this, but now we can't. We're going to lose that ability. <clears throat> the ceasing of music, the mirth in verse 8. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre, like a guitar. The mirth of the guitar is stilled. Even says people are going to change how they drink. In uh, verse 9, no more will they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. They're not even going to want to get drunk anymore. You read Revelation 6 to 19 and tell me how much partying anybody's doing during that. There's no partying happening. Nothing's happening in there. That is a, that is a time when people are, are, uh, going to change. The things are going to change because of the things around them. In verse 10, there's going to be confusion. It says, the wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. That no one, it's, it becomes a place of disorder, confusion, uh, revolt against uh, divine order. And ultimately, all gets put down. 
They're going to cry for their former pleasures. There's an outcry in the street because there's a lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. <clears throat> and then there's desolation. Look at uh, um, verse 12. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. So he's saying, look at the vine when somebody picks all the grapes, and the vine looks like it's had a rough day. Look at the olive tree when they had to shake it to get all the olives out of it, and the olive tree looks like it had a rough day. He's saying that's what it's going to look like. Everything looks like, uh, like it's having a rough day. The desperation of the people in verse 14 they lift up their voices, they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west, therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. In the coastland of the sea give glory in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So in verse 14 and 15, they recognize. They go, oh, oh yeah, that's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look, we're, 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 we're praising you. The problem is, it's too Late. Judgment day is not the day of repentance. Judgment day is the day of judgment. They recognize, they lift up their voices, they say, oh, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. It says, from the ends of the earth we hear the songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away. Woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed with betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. It's too late to praise today. When, when the heavens part and the, and the Lord returns to the earth and, and rides in on his white horse with all the hosts of heaven, the angels, it's too late to say, I believe. Yeah, I know you believe now, but now it's... This is a day of fire. This is a day of judgment. So the Lord says, it's the pit, it's the snare. He who flees at the sound of the terror will fall into the pit. He who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are open, the foundations of the earth tremble. Judgment day, someday. And mankind will get what he has earned. Then he talks about the drunkenness of the earth. Revelation 6 talks about this as well. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The idea in, Re in Revelation chapter 6 is a global earthquake. Have you ever had a global earthquake? I mean, me neither. As far as I know, there's never been one. But there will be. The Bible says that the whole earth is going to is going to shake like a drunken man. What is that going to be like? I don't know, but it can't be good, right? can't be good. The earth is going to split. The earth is going to shake, violently shake him. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it. Remember, we talked about the defilement of the earth. What defiles the earth? And it's time now for that defilement to be cleansed. How's it going to be cleansed? Judgment and fire. Judgment and fire. And it falls and will not rise again. So that when that judgment begins, it's not like he's not going to stop and say, okay, I was just kidding. Now you guys all are good. I'll come back a couple thousand years later. No, once it starts, it's going to get finished. It's going to be finished. It's permanent. 
The destruction is from the Lord. Look at verse 21. On that day the Lord will punish, listen to this, the host of heaven. Who's that? That's the angels, folks. Psalm 82. Psalm 82, the Lord says that he is going to judge the divine council. The council of angels. The angels that, whatever jobs angels have had, whatever hierarchy there is of the angels, however that works, right? God says, I'm going to judge you. In Psalm 82, he says, you're going to die like men. That's not good, right? Angels don't die. So that's judgment on the heavenly host. Are there fallen angels? Is there a past there? No, Revelation says that the lake of fire was created for who? The devil and his angels, right? Yeah, so he's saying right here, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven. He's going to judge them and the kings of the earth. So the, the categories that he lays out here are the leadership in each side. He's going to punish the leadership of the angels, right? That hierarchy. And he's going to punish the kings of the earth, the leadership of the earth. There's a sense in which Biblically, in a new heaven and a new earth, the leadership in heaven and the leadership in earth are going to function together. And they're going to be so united that the place where the bride lives is New Jerusalem, which hovers in between earth and heaven. It's interesting when you start to see all the pictures come together. He's going to judge the leadership of heaven and he's going to judge the leadership on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit, shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Now, this is interesting because we say he's going he's to gather them up. He's going to punish them. We know that the ultimate uh, destination is the lake of fire, right? We know the ultimate destination is what we consider hell today um, when we look at it. But he says it's after many days. So... There is a sense in which this judgment is going to take time. We look at a number of numbers. In Revelation, we talk about the, the tribulation. There's, there's, we know for sure that there's three and a half years, right? Three and a half years is described a lot of ways. Time, times, and a half time. 1,240 days. Um, three and a half years. Um, we get seven years from Daniel chapter 9. So if our calculations are correct, we have a seven-year period divided in the middle. We have abomination and desolation, right? You guys kind of tracking with me a little bit. So what we see here is he says now when he, when he takes all the people for judgment, the angels and men, and he's facing that day of judgment, he says after many days. In Daniel, you guys get a chance to look at Daniel at the end of Daniel. Daniel's talking about the end of days, and the Lord says to Daniel, you're not going to understand it now, so bind up the book. Seal up the book. You guys tracking with me? Seal up the book. It's for later on. But then he he says this. It's interesting, because he says, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. Okay, so if that's in the middle, and you have 1,240 days, I think that's the right number, 1,200, is that right? Yeah, no, that, that, that is a different number. That's the point. So we have 1,240 days is three and a half years. And then in Daniel, he says, well, from that time when that's set up, 
there will be 1,290 days. That's 60 days longer. Why is it 60 days longer? And then he says, blessed is the one who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. And we go, 1,330, what's 1,335 days? When you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah says that this judgment's going to take time. No? How long does it take to judge an innumerable amount of angels? How long does it take to judge every man who ever walked, every unbeliever who ever lived? How long does that take? Well, apparently, at least, right? Uh, you got um, 20 more days on one hand and, and 100 and some on the other that are probably dealing with that, that time of judgment. Isaiah says after many days, they're going to be punished. They'll be locked away. Verse 23 says, establishes then the dominion of the Lord takes over. The moon will be confounded, the sun ashamed, and the Lord of hosts will reign. The Lord of hosts. The Yahweh, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth. Sabaoth, the Lord of the angel armies, the hosts. The Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So God establishes that there will be a new eldership, right? There will be another council. When we read Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, it says that his throne is in the middle, and what's around him? 24 thrones? That has who sitting on it? I don't know. 24 elders, right? 24 elders around 24 thrones that are going to... The, the concept of thrones is there's some authority there, right? There's some type of authority. We know that Israel was told they were going to be a part of judgment, the nation of Israel, 12 tribes. We know that the 12 apostles were told they were going to be part of judgment. We know that Paul told the church, you guys can't judge between one another, but don't you know one day you're going to what? Judge the angels. That there will be another council another ruling body the lord said i'm going to give minas i'm going to give talents and what's the result if you've been faithful what's he say if you've been faithful the little i'm going to give you more if you've been responsible with a little i'm going to give you more what responsibility you sit in you'll sit in authority over 10 cities you'll sit in authority over five cities so there's a position there's a, the idea that part of god's rulership of the universe includes men and angels who are part of that governing body, right? Who else is around the throne? Four living creatures. Who else? The whole host of heaven. All around the throne, right? Singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And then the martyrs, they look up and say, Lord, how long? And he says, just a little longer. Just a little longer. When the earth is reached that level of defilement, I'm going to come. I'm going to come and I'll set all things right. It says the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. In Joel it says that the, that the moon will be turned to blood and the sun black. Right? The sun will go dark and the moon will be turned to blood. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew. What does that mean? Well, we've had we've certainly had several blood moons, haven't we? And and if you're smart and you know those things are coming, you should write a book, a prophetic book, because people buy that stuff up like crazy, right? 
what it means is you're not going to miss it. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because of this. The exact same language is used about the destruction of Babylon. When Babylon was destroyed, the prophet said, the moon will be turned to blood and the sun will be dark. And the moon didn't turn to blood and the sun didn't go black. What happened? Everyone knew something. If the, if the, if the moon turns to blood, do you notice it? Yep, I noticed. That, you don't go, oh, I didn't notice the moon was bloody. Or if you get up in the morning and there's no sun, it's all black, will you notice that? Yeah, so the point is, you're not going to miss when Babylon falls. Everybody knows. Babylon fell. When the earth falls, is everybody going to know? Is somebody just going to wake up and think, what happened? Wait, wait, things are a little different. No, man, you're going to know. You're going to know signs in the heavens, right? You're going to know. You're not going to miss it. You're going to say, wow, something has changed. Something has gone on. Yeah, the Bible says when Jesus returns, how many eyes will see him? How many? All? Every eye will see him, right? Every means every, don't it? Is somebody not going to see it? Somebody going to be shocked? Somebody going to be surprised? How how can that happen? If he if he comes back and you know, in on, on the Mount of Olives, I'm not going to be able to see him from here. Oh, you'll know. Yeah. What? How am I going to know? Well, what, what happens if the Earth shakes, splits in two, and uh, you're going to notice that? Yeah, I'm going to notice that. I'm going to know. And will you know what that's about? Yeah, I'll know what that's about. I'll know, I'll know what that's about. That's the king. His feet just hit the ground. The return of the king has happened. Not going to miss it. You will know. You won't, you know, be sleeping in your home for a month and a half and then discover when the news decides to report it that Jesus has returned. Yeah, it's not going to be like that. Right? Everyone's going to know. Everyone will know. And on that day, you know, it's just like today. Now is the day when God stands before the people and says, I've set before you life and death. The earth is defiled. You spilled so much innocent blood on the earth. I got to burn it. So I'm telling you, I'm going to burn it. I'm going to come back and burn it. But if you will ask me for forgiveness, I will forgive you. I will redeem you. I'll save you. But if you won't, I'm going to purge you with all the defiled of the earth. So when that day comes and I am purged, who do I have to blame? Did, did God make it complicated? Is it overly hard? I don't think so. Unless your pride. Die to your pride. Bow that knee. Let Jesus be king. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word, what your word declares, God. And Lord, I just, um, I know sometimes these are hard things to look at and see this judgment coming, but surely, God, we can recognize that we have defiled the earth. If, if Abel's blood defiled the, the, the earth, how can we say the blood that we have shed, the innocent blood that we have taken, all the things that men have done, 
God, there's so much, so many things, Lord. We know, God, that the day will come. But, and it may be today, it may be tomorrow, maybe the next day. But, but as we look for that day, for the return of the King, for your perfect judgment, God, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to lay it out before man so that man has an opportunity to repent. To sound the trumpet and say, hey, judgment's coming. You can laugh at me, you can make a big joke out of it, but at least when you stand before God, you won't be able to say, nobody told me I needed to repent. Nobody told me I needed to ask for forgiveness. So Lord, I pray that we would be serious, even as Jesus said, to watch and pray, to be ready for the return, not to wait. Not to wait. For now is the time, today is the day. For there is coming a day. There will be a day. And until that time, God, I pray that we, your church, would do our job. That we would shine a light. We would let that light shine so that men might see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Lord, we give you praise this evening, Lord. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.